Hello and welcome to 1707 Radio. We are here at Warminster School. I am Paige Gibson, and today I have a very special guest joining us, Paul Goodenough. Um, Paul, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So, um, as you say, Paul Goodenough, um, I'm the founder of Rewriting Extinction, which is basically a charity project looking to bring environmentalism to the normal people who wouldn't normally hear an environmental message. So, um, Rewriting Extinction is made up of a large group of people from different backgrounds and professions. So how exactly did you pull the group together and where did it start? So, yeah, there was a, let's put it this way, there was a lot of emails. There was, well, 22,500 emails I sent out to bring together the team. And um, it all started from a a position where I realised that environmental messages are generally only being heard by an audience who are already interested in environmentalism. And that's not the way we're going to save the planet. We need to get everybody involved. Um, So I looked at different mechanisms, different ways of actually getting the message out. And we chose comics. Simple, easy comics that can explain what people should know about and should care about. And they can be pushed out on social media. So once I kind of found the, the, the mechanism, if you like, the, the way of actually talking to people, then I actually I almost built a, a, like a tapestry of different types of audience and thought, well, how can we reach an audience who cares heavily about LGBTQ plus rights? How can we reach an audience who loves reality TV? How can we reach an audience who adores football? And then what I did in each of these kind of little boxes... I found somebody who had an access to that audience. They were maybe a football player, a musician, an actor. And um, I just annoyed them until they said yes, really, (laughs) to be honest. So when did your interest first start in the climate crisis? Was it an art as well with all your comics? When did this all start? Well, in terms of comics, I've always been a massive nerd. Um, I love them. I love the fact with comics, you can go anywhere, any part in time. You can put words and thoughts in the mouth of any creature anywhere. Comics is the only medium where the, 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 the reader controls the speed that they're reading and controls the places that are going, but with direction. Um, and I just, I just adore the medium. I've, I've worked in film, I've worked in TV, books, uh, and comics has always been my love. So that kind of started when I was very young. Um, in terms of the, the climate crisis or the thing that I care about, the biodiversity crisis, I don't know that, that there was a, a point in time where I went from not caring to caring. For me, I looked at what was happening out there in the wider world and the conversations that were happening, and they were generally focused around carbon, the climate, systemic problems... And no one was really talking about animals. And the suffering that animals have is truly heartbreaking. And um, it was when I was reading comics by people like Jenny Jinya, who's a comic artist who focuses on animal rights, that I thought, someone needs to do something about this. Someone needs to actually look after these animals and actually do something big, global, to save as many as they can. And it, it was that that moved me. 
That How did nice. you get in contact with Jenny? How did this happen? Remember when I said I annoyed a lot of people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Jenny was great, to be fair. I, I, I need to give uh, her a lot of credit. Um, I just reached out on social media. Um, a lot of the, the comic artists, particularly, they have... Um, you can contact them via Instagram or maybe via Tumblr or whichever platform you use. So actually getting in touch with Jenny and the comic artist was, was relatively easy. Uh, the celebrities were a little bit harder. Yeah, I saw Cara Delevingne mm. and Leonardo DiCaprio. How is it working with those types of big names? So I have to give Cara so much credit, um, perhaps more than any other celebrity we've worked with. With, uh, and I, I don't want to speak about celebrities too much because the project's about the, about the, the animals mm -hmm. and, the, and stories, but what she did for us and for me is she gave up her time, which is a very valuable thing, but she also opened up her black book. So she actually introduced us to lots of other celebrities as well. And she's hilarious. If you ever sort of like get a chance to sort of just listen to her talk, she's just a very funny person. Um, and what happened is, so uh, we've had a call, same happened across the whole project. We basically jump on a, on a brainstorm Zoom call. And on that call, we always try to have somebody who has access to an audience and who cares about a thing, in this case, Cara, an expert who can actually offer some advice about what people should do, uh, myself and a storyteller. And it was brilliant. We were supposed to have a half hour conversation. I think we were still chatting after about an hour and a half, cracking jokes, making sort of little stories up in our head. And um, the two comics that, that Cara made with us one was called Melody with Kieran Gillen and Sean Phillips, which is a very emotive story, really deep and really moving story. And the second one, which uh, which I wrote uh, with Dami Lee, was called The Bunker, which was just hilarious. It was just rude, silly, <laughs> funny. And, yeah, I just... It was an absolute joy working with her. And, as I say, as, as a human being, I was really blown away by how kind she was considering her position compared to mine mm -hmm. and with the comics who exactly are you focused on creating them for any specific audience or just anyone yeah so who i planned it to be for and who actually is picking up are actually some a little bit different so my um if anyone here listening knows instagram very well there's a thing called the discovery screen which is basically single images or videos in like a kind of patchwork fashion. The audience I was aiming for was the people scrolling through that screen trying to find something fun. I want to give them simple, easy, fun comics as an easy way into environmentalism to say, hey, you enjoyed this comic, here's what you can do. But we've actually since found that um, a lot of our audiences were ones that I was not expecting. So we have a heavy audience with people who have perhaps a lower level of educational literacy um, because the visual nature of comics makes it very easy to understand. We have a, a, a really strong audience in non-English language, language speaking. And we also have an audience in the over 55s, which we didn't see at all. And the reason is, is that those audiences I just mentioned were being excluded from environmentalism because there is this feeling of experts talking to experts in environmentalism there's facts there's figures there's a lot of shorthand a lot of 
shorthand that happens in, happens in the environmental sector. And if you don't come from that position of a, of a, of a higher education and you don't come from that position of knowing the, the language intrinsically well, it's like someone's talking to you in, an, in, an, in another language itself and so it puts people off. So we found that our comics are simple, easy and fun and that really helped reach those audience. Mm-hmm. And that they're also easily translated. They can reach so many different people. I think that's a really great way of communicating a message. And also it is just fun. Like on Instagram, if I saw that, I know for sure I would be reading all the comics. Oh, please do. Yeah, please do. Read, read, read and share. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Um, you mentioned stopping illegal fishing. Mm-hmm. And I just, could you tell me a little bit about that? I was just interested in how that happened. Yeah, so um, it's quite an emotive subject. So apologies for this, but... Um, there are uh, fishing and the things that happen on the high seas is there are some really reprehensible things happening um so there's modern slave trade so what will happen is these illegal fishing vessels will they will stop at some of the more developing nations and they will actually threaten the families of men and say that we will harm your family unless you come to work on our boat and they those people who work on the boat are then basically turned a blind eye to everything that happens on there. So with fishing, what you should do, you should use certain types of nets so that certain fish are caught and others are not. You should also make sure that you don't fish unsustainably, which is what they do when they have these 90-kilometre trails and they just clear everything out. They just destroy everything in massive long miles and miles and miles of netting and everything gets killed and half of it even more than half it sometimes is endangered animals that are never even given over to meat they're just killed illegal and destructive fishing is one of the biggest blights on the planet and it's not only a blight to humanity and obviously to the the species as well but it's also actually a blight to our our actual economic status to there's trillions of dollars that should be actually going into communities and people that's just being kept by um yeah the, the black market of illegal fishing so um we've worked with both greenpeace and with sea shepherd to raise attention to it and to put pressures on governments and ministers and organizations to clamp down on this as a trade the problem is it's really hard. It's really hard. So even though it's illegal, it still happens because the oceans are a really big place and having vessels is a really expensive thing to do. So what Greenpeace and particularly Sea Shepherd do is they actually have these boats that, that basically patrol the areas where they know that illegal fishing happens and they actually bring those people to justice. And one of our comics... Um, uh, called the, the Shepherd and the Thunder um, by Brian Azzarello and Peter Hammerstadt and, uh, and Daniel Zazelj focuses exactly on that thing, a hundred day long uh, journey where this big illegal shipping vessel, the Thunder, was chased by the Sea Shepherd vessel called the Balbarka and they chased it all around the planet. It was, yeah, it was an incredible journey. Um, and eventually what happened is when this illegal uh, shipping vessel worked out they couldn't get away, 
they were cornered in the Gabonese seas and the Gabonese government brought their, their, their ships out to, to stop them from getting away. The Bob Barker caught them up. So the, uh, the, the owner or the, the captain of the, the Thunder actually scuttled his own ship and actually sunk his own ship to avoid getting prosecuted or getting brought to justice. And that's what you're dealing with. It's, there's, um, it's almost like if you think about pirates... They're, they're modern-day pirates. And that's difficult to control. Because Very. how are you supposed to arrest these people? Wow, that's, that's really deep. That's some intense stuff. Um, and the Tasmanian devil as well. Mm. You mentioned that what the Tasmanian devils do is they prevent wildfires. Absolutely. And so each part of the food chain is being impacted by our climate change. And so do you have hope that the Tasmanian devil will be saved? <laughs> yeah, well, the Tasmanian de- devil, what we're actually doing is we're actually reintroducing it. So it was um, functionally extinct in Australia. And with Rewild, who are one of our charity partners, um, they've been gone for 3,000 years doing um, both a breeding program and releases of Tasmanian devils into the areas in Australia where they will pick up the detritus and will slow down the wildfires. And it's such a, it's a really cool project. It's so nice because they're these super cute little guys and they just, they mm-hmm. capture the hearts of people, but also not just they, they capture the hearts, they also do some really good, like you say, they reduce wildfires, they support the local ecosystems. And specifically, by not having those wildfires and reducing the amount of them, it allows all of the different cre- creatures and species who live in those those wooded areas to recuperate. And yeah, so it's and like I say, it's super cute. <laughs> Is that one of your favorite projects, or what? What's your favorite project? Oh, that would be if I told you my favorite project, none of the others <laughs> would talk to me. So, <laughs> but I must admit, I do love the rewilding projects, which is what you do is you find an ecosystem that has something missing from it sometimes that's a, 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 like a predator sometimes it's prey sometimes it's even an orchid there is often one of one creature you can reintroduce to that area or one or a couple of creatures and what that does is completely reinvigorates it and um i was talking to uh, one of the students um i think alex's name was was saying about um he's a wildlife photographer and the power you can have when you reintroduce one species to an area, it's incredible. So down in um, Nepa State, which is run by uh, Charlie Burrell and, uh, and Izzy Tree, they introduced a Tamworth pig into their estate. And this pig is incredible. It's like a bulldozer. <laughs> it just tore up all of their land, throwing all of this, this soil and dirt up, and it was basically ruining everything. And from what I understand, Charlie and Izzy were like, ah, it's destroying, <laughs> destroying our home. But then what happened is when the soil reformed itself, it formed natural waterways, it formed natural plains that was perfect, that was exactly what the ground and the soil and the species there needed. And now it's one of the most biodiverse places. I think it is one of the most biodiverse places in England, if not Europe. They have species of butterfly there that can only be found there. It's so beautiful and wild that people take safaris in England. <laughs> they live in these tree tree houses and they have yurts there. 
and the sound when you go there it's arty pages it's amazing because you can feel it there's just like a like a mm-hmm. thrum and it's and it feels like you're in a different country like you've traveled to asia or africa and you haven't you've just got off the motorway and turned up at Nepa state and those projects those solution focused projects where you can actually see something really cool at the other end i love those how many people do you think are on board with going through these types of things because it sounds amazing but i'm thinking like if that happened in my area and i risked you know a potential disaster to have this amazing wildlife i don't know how many people would be so okay with that so how many people like do you have hope that more people will be open to this type of thing Absolutely. Yeah, no, I really do. Um, and that's just saying to I say one of your, your, your student colleagues, at the moment, uh, half a million acres of Scotland has been turned over to rewilding because through the, the images that I showed in the talk where, where, where you actually you can show what it will look like, people get it. They mm-hmm. love it. And it's like, wow, we can have that here. And there is actually very, very little danger. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talk about introducing the, the, the bison and maybe the bear back into Britain. The, the, the species are very carefully chosen mm. and they're very carefully managed as well. And the thing is, they used to be here. They lived here for generations, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of years without issue. It's just often we hunted them to extinction mm. or the, the farming practices that we went through meant that they weren't able to live their best life and therefore they they perished. So to give you some idea, I think it's something like a third of the landowners in in Britain have now signed up to rewilding. So RSPB, the Woodland Trust, the National Trust, lots of the big individual uh, landowners have said, yes, we will do rewilding at scale in Britain. And that gives me incredible hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I think by the time that you get to my age, hopefully you'll be able to sort of walk out to these places and just see a bear in the UK or the bison, as I say, or the lynx, and you'll be able to see things that I would never see in my lifetime 10, 20 minutes, half an hour from your door. Well, some say that we're, our time is running out on the planet. Do you think that we'll be able to turn it around and have the opportunity to make up for the damage we've done? 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic. Um, so about five, six years ago, I started on this journey. And most people thought that I was some crusty hippie or I was a little <laughs> bit weird. And people would sort of, just roll their eyes at me and not care. In the last two years, people have been coming to me and to people like me to say, what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. How can we change And they say it takes 20% of the people to change 100% of the planet. And I think if you go into any room, you'll find that more than 20% of the people want to change. Mm -hmm. I do think we're going to go through a really rough time for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. I think people need to brace themselves for some very challenging times. I think we will see lots more environmental disasters. I think we will see climate migrancy when certain countries aren't able to be lived on in, in by humans. And I think that will cause a, a, a lot of heartache and a lot of pain for a lot of people and a lot of species. But the changes we're making right now will come to pass in 15, 20 years. And when we get to this 15, 20 years, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be such a beautiful place we will live in. 
a lot more equality, equity, and we're all going to feel a lot more happy about our place. Like the guilt that I live with every day, thinking all the things I've done in my past, hopefully your generation will never have that. Mm-hmm. You'll basically be able to go out and enjoy the planet in a way that, that I never can. Um, so yeah, sorry, my, 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 my short answer is yes, <laughs> I'm very optimistic. And I really, if there's one thing I'd give people, it's some resilience over the next 10 years when things will be tough. And what Rewriting Extinction and our book, The Most Important Comic Book on Earth, is trying to do is raise money to make sure that those 10 years when things are going to get bad, that we save as many species during that time as possible. Okay. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Paul. And your lecture was amazing earlier. We're so thankful to have you at our school. And I think you inspired so many people in that room in our sixth form lecture today. And personally, I've been touched. I think that I will listen to and take every word that you said in that lecture with me for a very long time. And you've also made me so much more optimistic. I kind of went into this talk being a little bit depressed about the climate change and thinking that there's no way out. So thank you so much. And I hope that you come back to our school or something and stay in contact. Thank you. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and thank you for just being so, so thoughtful with your questions and just being so easy to talk to. So thank you.